71 cities. And uh, these are churches that are urban, cross-cultural, that include the poor, have joyful worship, and sound biblical teaching, Lord willing. And, uh, you know, some of them are really struggling. They're brand new. They're church plants. And others have had a long history, like you guys and us in Chattanooga. But those of us who've had a long history, we are still learning, and we're still desperate for God's mercy. Amen? Boy. This morning, I'm going to preach to you from Psalm 100, the 100th Psalm. This is a psalm I grew up hearing even before I was a Christian in the public school system of Newark, New Jersey. Uh, you know, there was a sort of a cultural religion in, in the America in those days before the courts made us take uh, the Bible and prayer out of school. And so it was common among the citizens to know certain basic things from the Bible. We knew the Lord's Prayer. We knew the 23rd Psalm. And we knew the 100th Psalm. And, uh, you know, I didn't really understand what it meant, but I kind of liked the cadence of it, you know. It was, it was really good. So I want to pray first, and then I'm going to read the psalm. Holy Father, thank you so much for this wonderful time uh, to come before you and worship. Lord, we just praise you for Sunday morning. We praise you, Lord, for one day of the week set aside. For us to come together and give you praise. And Lord, some weeks are hard. And some weeks seem nice. But Lord, every week you deserve our praise. Uh, Lord, it's been a hard week for America. And we pray this day that you would comfort those in mourning. Those who have lost loved ones. Lord, whether they're in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Or St. Paul, Minnesota or Dallas, Texas, Lord, or as is just normal operating business on the mean streets of our cities, we ask you to have mercy on us. Lord, we are a nation of violence and a nation of blood, and we've had it on our hands for a very long time. We're asking you that this day your blood would cleanse our hands that your blood would cleanse our hearts. We're asking, Father, that you would remove hatred from the land, bitterness from our hearts, fear from us. Father, we know that the earth tremble and the mountains fall into the sea. Nothing will move you. You are a rock. You remain firm forever. And we are safe in you. We ask you, Lord, for wisdom. Wisdom for all of us, but especially for those in authority. That they, at this time in our nation, would say the right words. They would do the right things. That, Lord, we would see them doing what is right. To try to take steps for healing and for justice. Lord, we're crying out that you would end racism in our hearts, and in our nation. Lord, we know it, it's a human sin. We know it'll plague us always. But we're asking, oh God, that you'd give us wisdom to know how to fight it. 
Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for Faith Christian Fellowship and its witness in this city. And, oh, Lord, bless them. Give them success. Lord, let many people come to Christ in this place and learn how to love one another, but especially to love you. So, Lord, we're asking these things today, and, and along with it, we want to ask you to bless the preacher, and Holy Spirit, come and anoint me to say your word and fill our hearts with your joy. Help us to do your will. And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Give thanks to Him. Excuse me. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him, and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures throughout all generations. Amen. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mm. Now today I've got four points, uh, Lord willing. And uh, I want to go through this psalm and point out some things to us, and I hope they'll be helpful to us. Uh, obviously, I picked this text before the events of this week, and I'm kind of glad the Lord did that to me, uh, because I might have picked a gloomy text. Uh, you know, I might have picked a text that talked about lament, and there is a time for lament. There is a time for weeping. There is a time when we need to be silent before God and just wait on the Lord. Uh, and this week, if anything, might reveal those kinds of things, but Please remember, in the context of our history, we've had bad days before. This is not new. And it is not new to God. And, uh, in fact, there have been times that we have suffered that have been much worse. And sometimes things happen, you know, we, we live in a day of such instant media that we are, like, right there. And uh, there are videos now of almost everything that happens. Now, just, just remember this. Before there was any video, God could see everything. Nobody had to post anything for God to know about it. He, he was always right there at every terrible, horrible situation in the history of the world. So believe me, this week did not shake God. But it shakes us. And we know as a nation, we've, if exposed anything, we know we have work to do. But today we come to talk about the God of eternity. He is our hope. He is, he is why we are here to worship today. We haven't come into this house today to be angry at God and complain about God that somehow He is out of touch. Although sometimes in our grief we feel that way. So I want to just preach this song, the 100th Psalm. 
So I got a couple of questions as we take, take this psalm apart a little bit. The first question is what? What's going on here? What does he want us to do? And it starts off with this great uh, command, a direction to, to us as God's people. Make a joyful noise. Now, I've heard people use that phrase when they can't sing. Maybe some of you have used it. You said, well, you know, you know, I'm sorry, I can't sing. I'm a terrible singer, but I make a joyful noise. That is not what this means. This is not a, 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 an excuse for bad singing, okay, or bad musicianship. It, now, now, it obviously implies that when we come to God in worship, we have to produce something. Make a joyful noise. And this week, uh, you've had musicians here who every week in their home churches are producing. They're crafting. They're making. And they have to work hard at it. And they're not perfect. Sometimes they fail. Sometimes they feel frustrated. Sometimes the... the the voices they have to work with or the, or the instruments they have to work with are not present. They don't have all the gifts and skills they would like to have. Maybe the sound equipment is bad. you know. But here, the Scriptures tell us that effort is to be put into worshiping God. We need to produce it. Now, you know, we get real spiritual in the church. Uh, we say, you know, oh, ooh, well, that, that's a little, that's entertainment. You know, and, oh, I don't like production. You know, I just want to sort of a, a, I want every, you know, here's really what people are saying. I want everything to be perfect. I just don't want to see it made. And, and I would just submit to you, in a lot of our evangelical churches, we are such hypocrites. about We don't want to pay musicians. So, no, if you really love the Lord. That would be his service. You know, I love the Lord. I teach Sunday school for nothing. It didn't take you years to learn how to teach Sunday school. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not on the kick about paying musicians, but I'll just throw that in. Um, <laughs> you owe me, Jim. <laughs> Make... A joyful noise. Now, you'll notice in this psalm that we are bringing something to God. You know, what, what do we owe God? Everything. But especially in this psalm, he wants us to bring some joy into the house. Uh, at New City, I tell people for years, if you could describe our worship, there is one word to describe it, one word that we're after, and that is the word joy. And here in the psalm, it says that we're to bring a joyful noise. We're to come with gladness. We're to come with singing. We're to come with thanksgiving. We're to come with praise. Those things belong uh, in the house of God in the act of worship. That is what the Lord wants. And, you know, it's an interesting thing culturally. There's a, there, there is a cultural and even an ethnic implication here. First of all, it says, all ye lands. Okay, so you, you see it's, it's not a monocultural issue here. It, it, it's it's a, a universal thing. 
that all nations and all ethnic groups and all people would come into the house of the Lord with joy. They would make a joyful noise unto him, praising his name. And I even think there's, there's a cultural implication in the word noise. I've come into some churches, and you know when you come out in and out of the narthex or the vestibule, those are the holy names. Another one would be the front hallway. You know, you come in, and I've seen it. I've actually seen this. I've seen signs over there. Let all the earth keep silence before him. We don't have that at our church. Because I, I think that's the wrong context for that scripture. I don't think the scripture is saying that, that when the, the body of Christ, when the people of God come together, they are to keep silent. Yes, there are times. But generally, what God wants is some holy noise. And it's very interesting, you know, when I say there's an ethnic implication to this, you know, white people are kind of... <laughs> now, I have to watch myself and not leave an opening like that. This, this is not a fill-in-the-blank sermon. All right. But, you know, when it comes to worship, uh, we, have, we have developed certain traditions in our culture. That's, that's what culture is. We, you develop traditions. And, and for many white folks, church was a place, uh, really, it's almost militaristic. You, you only do things by order. You stand up when you're told. You sit down when you're told. You shut up until actually the preacher tells you what to do. I've been in churches, you know, where something so wonderful just happened in worship. I mean, the, the, the choir, the orchestra, whatever. I mean, and, 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 it, and it rose to this crescendo, to this pitch, and it stops. And everybody just... And God help the man who starts clapping. I've had preachers say, stop, we don't clap in the house of God. You go, evidently you have not read the Bible. God wants some holy noise. And, you know, white people can be very loud at football games. Okay, it's not that white people do not know how to be loud. It's just that somehow they've interpreted the worship of God as to be totally controlled, in order, and quiet until somebody breaks out the pipe organ, okay, or the trumpets or something. But in response to that, we're supposed to take our emotions and shove them deep down. I would say there's an ethnic implication. This is not North American worship in Psalm 100. This is Hebrew worship. And Hebrew is a little bit more uh, multi-person. Uh, for us uh, Northern European descendants, we are mostly, we want to come at worship as a very cognitive, cerebral kind of thing. We want to think. So we, we have hymns that have like 20 verses of every theological concept ever written. 
in one, in one hymn. And if we don't hear all of it at one time, we didn't have church. <laughs> and when you go home, say, what, what did you get out of church? Well, you know, I don't remember. But then, you know, when white people come here, black people sing, and they sing the same phrase 50 times. <laughs> and then they come out complaining, oh, you know. But did you remember what you said? Oh, yeah, I got that phrase. I, I got it. Well, good. Maybe you'll keep it all week. So what do we bring? We bring joyful noise, and we produce it. We work at it. We make it happen. Thank God for our musicians. Thank God for those who labor. And uh, I just, you know, you parents, if you start training your kids and learning the piano and instrument, pray that they would take that gift and offer it as a sacrifice to God, and they would lead the rest of us to his throne. I mean, did you have some joy this morning? Oh, man, hallelujah. And, you know, I, I get the opportunity to preach in a lot of places. I'm so glad that they still let me worship at New City. You know, I stepped down from my pulpit uh, four years ago, and uh, the new pastor and his wife have been so loving to us and allow us to keep coming to church And because uh, I need it. When I come off the road, I'll tell you. Hallelujah. Not today. I'm not talking about today. Today was great. <laughs> now let me get on to my second point. Why? Why would we bring all of these gifts of joyful noise and gladness and singing, thanksgiving, and praise? Why would we do that? Because of something we know. Know ye, and we know it by faith, that the Lord, He is God. And nobody else deserves this. Nobody else worthy of it. We don't come to church to worship the building. We don't come to church to worship the preacher. We don't come to church to worship our culture or our tradition. That's just the package that's just the package in which it arrives. But we have come because we know that He is God. And there is no other. And something that we know about Him and about ourselves happens. It's revealed in the psalm. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us. And not we ourselves. Now I would tell you that that is a profound theological implication in that. And it also has to do with the events that happened this week. Those people who were killed, by whomever they were killed, were all created in the image of God. There is not one human being who created another being. Oh, yes, we conceive children. That's only by the mercy of God. Every human soul is given as a gift from God Himself. We are all created. In his image. That means each human being has dignity. It doesn't matter if they're strung out on drugs. It doesn't matter if they're an alcoholic. If they're, it doesn't matter if they're insane. It doesn't matter if they don't know how to dress. It doesn't matter if they're ugly. It doesn't matter if they're physically or mentally impaired. Every human being. Because simply the definition of being a human being is that they have been made by Almighty God. 
No man made this person. No man made me. I'm created in his image. That means I carry around his look, not physically, but spiritually. As a human being, I reflect God. That has implications that if he made me, you should not unmake me. That's why the Ten Commandments say, Thou shalt not murder. It is not given to one human being to callously or carelessly take the life of another. That, that's not our business. So when policemen, doing their legitimate work, striving to do it well, when they come into every encounter and they carry the means of death, they have to remember, and we need to pray for them to remember, that this person I'm dealing with, no matter how obnoxious their behavior, no matter how resistant, no matter how evil they may be, they are still created in the image of God. And I will tell you, that can be tough. When somebody is cursing you out, spitting on you, refusing to obey your lawful commands, hurting you, oh, and you'd like to hurt him back. Now, please, every one of us, you think about your own little temper, and you think about how quickly you get angry. And you imagine having to do that every day. But yet it is still given to them by God under that authority to remember that every human being is created in the image of God. That also applies to all of us. When it comes to the times we feel like we'd like to get a little revenge. Because God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Oh, we, we, we have no right to be like Cain. Kill our brothers, because their blood will scream from the ground. God will know. We are His people. I love this about this song. We are His people. And the sheep of His pasture. There's something sweet and intimate about that. We belong to him. Now, this is reflected greatly in the New Testament. So if you have your Bible, I want you to just turn with me quickly to the Gospel of John, to the 10th chapter, where we learn a little bit more about what this means to be the sheep of his pasture. John 10, and I'll start reading from verse 1. Just, just listen to Jesus talk about this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door of the sheepfold is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I receive from my Father. Brothers and sisters, this psalm was written by a Jewish man. And as he wrote it, I'm sure he thought of the Jewish nation. But I also believe that when the Holy Spirit inspired him to write it, he wasn't just talking about ethnic Israel. He was talking about all who would come to be joined to ethnic Israel as the true Israel. We are, as Gentiles, the wild olive tree, as Paul talks about. And we have been grafted in to that original olive tree. In other words, we are these people. Jesus said, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. This is the great multi-ethnic, cross-cultural vision that Jesus gives us. In other words, what's happening here at Faith, what's happening in churches like the New City Network, is an example of God's reconciliation, His power to bring people who at one time were enemies, bring them together. And he makes us one flock. And so all of us together can acknowledge that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And you know, it's the declaration when we come together and and worship God together is, I'm not a goat. I'm a sheep. How did I get in? Because he saved me. He laid down his life for the sheep. And I'm one of those who who heard his voice. I know my shepherd's voice. And my question to you today, even as I stop here for a moment and just give you a little gospel, is do you know his voice? Because you see, if you are not saved, if you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not in the flock. You know, you're hanging around the sheep fold without being a sheep. 
And what you need to understand is He's the way in. He's the door. He's the person you need to believe in. This is, this is the love of God for you. That He laid down His life to save you from your sins so that you would have an opportunity to be part of the house. And this is a special house. It is a house made to bring a joyful noise. You know, and it's hard to be in the church house without knowing what salvation is in your own heart. It, 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 might go, it goes past you. It just becomes religion. It becomes religion, ritual. But boy, it's not a bursting heart full of praise. To have that, you've got to know what it's like to be saved from the wolf. You've got to know what it's like to be brought into the sheepfold. I hope you know that today. And if you don't, don't leave this place without talking to somebody and say, how do I know Christ? How can I be saved? Come to Him in faith. Hallelujah! Why do we bring a joyful noise? Because He is good. That's just a simple statement. He is good. We say that a lot in church. We'll say, God is good. And all the time. You know how much faith it takes to believe that? Because you see, if, you, if you're today in the hospital in Dallas uh, with one of your loved ones who's just been shot, if you're at the funeral in St. Paul or in Louisiana, it might be really hard for you to come to a funeral in a church and say it one more time. God is good. But you know, even at funerals, we who believe in the Lord Jesus, we know this to be true. It is always true. And one reason it's always true is that God, the definition of Him being good means He never makes a mistake. He never does anything wrong. Now, we do. What happened last week was not God's fault. It was humanity's fault. We're the ones who brought sin into the world. We're the ones who create war. We're the ones who have allowed disease and corruption to our bodies occur because we sinned against God. And we keep reaping the consequences of that. And we ought to be angry at it. Injustice is a result of humanity bringing sin into the world. And we ought to be mad at it. We ought to say it's enough. But it's not God's fault. Because we reap what we sow. So how can God still be good and allow this consequence to keep rolling over us? Because in Him and in Him alone, there is safety. I know I'm going to heaven no matter what happens. Whether I die of old age, You know, having a hot toddy before I went to sleep. Stretched out real comfortable. No pain. Whether somebody shoots me down. God is good. He's always good. And like I said, and I want to take it lightly, it takes great faith to believe that. Always, in every situation. You see, His mercy is everlasting. 
It never runs out. Now here's the great thing. Even those who bring injustice can come to repentance and be forgiven. Because who of us has not sinned? It's so easy to stand apart and say, how could people be like that? You're a people. How could you be like that? Because sometimes, the truth be told, they're a pretty nasty person. But his mercy is everlasting. Listen, listen. his mercy is everlasting. That means there's still more for you. Hallelujah. There's still more. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. This truth, 3,000 years ago, is still true today. This God, David's God, the psalmist God, is our God. He hasn't changed at all. He's still a good shepherd. He still loves his sheep. He's still in control. So, you know, that was just the two points out of the four. But the good news, the other two are real short. And the third one is this. Well, where? Where? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now, you can say, look, I, you can worship God anywhere. Yes, you can, and yes, you should. But you better be in church. Because this is the invitation of God that we would not worship God simply as individuals, but we would do it as the people of God. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but we are to come together in Jesus' name so that we could stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. I mean, how do you have a choir if you're all by yourself? How do you, how do you see the gifts of praise and worship, exhibit it and catch your heart up in, in the emotion that God calls for unless you're with the people of God. Now, you know, I, I hear people complain about church and the institutional church and the local church and my church all the time. And you know why church is so messed up? Because you're in it. We all bring our nasty selves to church every Sunday. And we live out our week and we rub up against each other and have friction and have attitudes. And, and uh, you know, we create an institution and we've got officers and they mess up and they misspend the money and they quarrel. And, and uh, you know, and sometimes the preacher's in a bad mood and, and maybe he didn't study enough or, you know, we don't know what's wrong, but the sermon just fell into the ground that day and... You know, the pianist didn't practice or something, or why did you let Miss Marble sing again? You know, and I don't, I don't know what the complaints were in Israel at the temple. I'm sure some Levite, some priest walked home complaining. Man, he didn't handle that meat right. I, I don't know. But here the word of the Lord says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Oh, brothers and sisters, Sunday morning ought to be joy to you. 
Your heart ought to pour out before him. And you know, every Sunday is imperfect. Every Sunday. And I tell you, I've been to some worship services I thought were pretty rocking myself. I mean, I, I thought, man, if I could put that in a bottle and sell it, wow. But every church, every worship is imperfect. But boy, we're going to glory. We are going to glory. And finally, the sister's going to learn how to sing right. <laughs> finally. Finally, we won't need a sound system. Oh. Now, let me give my fourth point. We come back to what? I told you that the what was to make a joyful noise. To bring all of this stuff of praise to God. But here it says at the end of the song. Bless his name. And I just want to end with that. And I, and I want to encourage you that in all the strife that we face. In all the anger that we feel. In all the injustice that we see. You still need, and I still need to be called to do this, to bless his name. We should and ought not to be angry at God. We should not question him. Oh, yeah, we, we need to question injustice. We need to question corrupt government. We need to question every evil act. Because God calls upon us to stand up and do something about it. Our religion is not, let's just go to church and be happy and forget what's happening in the streets. That's not the religion God called us to. God called us to stand in the gap and to speak out against what is evil, to hate evil and to love good. Yes, God calls us to do that, but the energy for that, the power for that, the hope that, that even if they don't listen to us, the hope that even if we lay down our lives to stand against what is evil, God is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endures to all generations. So whatever happens, whatever the devil may bring, bless His name. Whatever some racist might throw at you, bless His name. Whatever the consequences of a fallen world may befall you, Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures for you, your children, your grandchildren, forever. His truth endures to all generations. Amen. Father God, please take our praise this morning. We lift it up to you. You alone are the true God. No one else made us, Lord, and no one else saved us but you. And we pray, Lord, today that in the face of conflict or trouble, you would give us this comfort, your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
confess we faintly trust thy word but will you pity us the less but apart from you